Thanks for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and follow at Church in the City. You know, it's, it's actually funny because a couple days ago it was 70 degrees and I, I was actually I was disappointed about that because I'm going to start talking about kind of the problems with the world. And I said, God, if, if it's 70 degrees and sunny, people aren't going to believe that there are problems in this world. And God answered my prayer with this wonderful, cloudy, rainy, snowy day. So you're welcome, everybody. You're welcome. It'll make sense after the preach is done. So, so God is at work. God is at work. Um, you see, the, the world is not our home. The world is filled with trouble, as Jesus said. You may have seen this. You may have heard this on the news. You may have seen this in, in your life. There is unfortunately trauma that happens. There is pain in this world. You see, the Bible says that all creation groans as in, in birth pains for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. The world is desperate for, for Jesus. I've seen that personally through the to what happened in my life, and, and I've had to actually watch less of the news because I just, it gets me to a bad place. It turns me and twists me in ways, and as much as I try to get away from the news, the news somehow finds me. People will stop me at work and say, hey, did you see this crazy thing that happened? Would you hear about this? And I'm like, ah, yeah, no, thank you for telling me. Thank you. That, that's really helping my day a lot. And I'm not trying to run away from the world, but I just think we need to be aware that it affects us. Yeah. That the traumas from the past, the bad and terrible things that have happened to us, it, it, it's real. I'm not here to come here with rose-colored glasses and tell you that none of that matters, that none of that happened. It did. But what I can tell you is that there is a God of the impossible that helps us in that place that takes us from that place. You see, John the Baptist grew up knowing Jesus. His, his mother, Elizabeth, and Jesus' mother, Mary, were relatives, the Bible tells us. They grew up knowing each other, and, and John the Baptist had the incredible privilege of anointing Jesus, baptizing him, seeing the heavens open up and saying, this is my son who I'm well pleased with. But yet, in, in prison, he sends his disciples to Jesus in Matthew 11 and said, are you the Christ, or should we look for another? See, sometimes when we're in prison, when we've gone through hard pains, and God knows what happened to him in prison, it's so easy to doubt, to move and be positioned from a position of faith to one of doubt, to one of fear and anger, to take offense at what happened, to feel guilty, and to be burdened down by all of those things. You see, Jesus in John 16 says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. When those same disciples said, Should we look for another? What did Jesus say? He said, Tell John that the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. Blessed are those who don't take offense at me. You see, we are desperate for the God of the impossible. This world is desperate for the God of the impossible. With all of those needs that are there, we just need him all the more. We need to feel his closeness with us and near us. See, Jesus told us, to, as we pray, to pray that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. That heaven needed to raid this earth. It needed to invade earth. And as we think about raiding earth, we realize it happens because because of Steve. Because Steve tells me to create acronyms and, and to, to share that with you. And so, so, so RAIDS is an acronym to share with you. I'm just following orders, people. I'm just following orders. You see, R reveals the heart of God. It just so happens to fit the Bible, too. But, 
R reveals the heart of God. We see his tender compassion for us. A authenticates him moving. In Hebrews 2, verse 3 to 4, he says, we have testified these truths by the signs, the wonders, the miracles that have happened. It authenticates what God is doing. I, it talks to us of, talks to us of our identity as sons, as daughters. You see, we don't have to beg and plead because we are part of that heavenly family. And God is our heavenly father. We talk about our, it, it reveals the deity of God, that he is the God of the impossible, that as big as you think God is, he's bigger. As big as you think that he can possibly be, he's even bigger than that. And his deity becomes all the more real when impossible things happen. And scripture comes alive when we see God moving, when you see him moving in our hearts and in our lives. So today, the roadmap that we're going to have today is we're going to talk about recognizing God moving in the small things as well as the big things. It's hard to do that, especially as the world changes and twists us. We're going to talk about when we see those things, how it reveals things about us. It's like a mirror. See, when we see God all throughout the Bible, when God does something miraculous, it reveals the hearts of people. Their hearts are opened and and what we've been trying to bury deep inside us comes to the surface. And so I would just ask that even as I'm talking, if you're filled with anger or something like that, don't suppress it. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's my fault, but maybe it's God trying to bring something out to the surface. And, and let's, let's see what God would do. And then we respond. We respond. And I'm going to share about our values, the, the different values that we have that come from the Bible, in helping us to respond with freedom, with rest, with safety, and to go freely. You see, I'm not here to tell you all these things that you have to do. I'm, I'm going to tell you things that we have to let go of. But let's start with the word. In Luke 5, 2 through 11, we see the calling of Peter. Jesus was sitting at, and saw at the water's edge two boats. They were left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out a little into deep water and let your nets down for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've been working hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down my nets. You see, Simon was a professional fisherman. He knows when to catch fish, and it wasn't in the middle of the day. He had been there, he had tried everything that he knew, and they had tried, and he was exhausted, and he had nothing to show for it. And then he had just washed his nets, and now Jesus tells him to put those clean nets back into the water when there's clearly not going to be any fish there to catch. But because of Jesus, because he said so, he did it. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything and followed him. Those same fish that they were so amazed by catching, they just left there and followed him. They followed the Lord of all the fish, the one who commands all of those things, who told the fish to be there when they had no business being there. They let everything go because they saw the God of the impossible. Now, maybe you don't think catching a bunch of fish is very incredible. (laughs) It's not very astonishing 
if I go to go fishing and I catch fish, I would be impressed, but I wouldn't necessarily give God all the credit for that. But you see, Peter had eyes to see what God is doing. I was just thinking about all of the things that, we, that God has done for us that we don't even know that he's done. All of those times when there were those near misses, those coincidences that have happened, those lucky breaks that you got, and you're like, oh, I'm so glad I didn't get into that car accident. I'm so glad this didn't happen. You know, the funny thing is that in the Bible, not once does it say those things happened by luck. Not once does it say that it was a nice happenstance or a great coincidence that things happened. In fact, just the opposite. It says that all things were made by God. In John 1, verse 1 to 5, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That light became, that word became flesh, and we've seen his glory. That's what the word says. In fact, whenever people saw God moving, even in the, the ordinary circumstances, Jesus says, wow, look at this faith. I haven't seen this faith in all of Israel. When other people were saying that was a coincidence, the people who had eyes to see and ears to hear, Jesus said, yes, now you're getting it. Now you're, you're seeing me moving in all things. You guys may know that I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge nerd. I'm actually, I'm a, I'm, a really, I'm a really big nerd, okay? And yes, yes, Matt knows that I'm, I'm an incredible nerd. And, and as I read about like biology and science and astronomy and all of those things, I see God moving in everything. I see a world where there is evil that doesn't sleep. There is the devil in First Peter as like prowling lion that's looking to kill, steal, and destroy. And yet I see God holding all of that together holding and protecting and guiding everything. I look at the same numbers in, in a DNA helix, double helix, with the golden mean in flower petals, every flower petal. I see it in every animal, every person, all of us. I see it in galaxies that are bigger than we can imagine. In fact, it's called the God fingerprint in science because they can't understand how it could possibly be in all these different places. You see, there's nothing that has been made that wasn't made through him. So we need to recognize this. We need to see this. Because otherwise, all these miraculous things will just walk right past as if nothing ever happened. And if we're going to recognize it, then we need to start with Jesus, the Word. See, one of our values is all of us for Jesus. Because when everything is for Jesus, it brings us to a place of humility. It brought Peter to a place of humility, a professional fisherman, putting out his boats, putting out his nets, when he knew there would be no fish there. You see, humility is freeing. It frees us from thinking that we're in control because we're not. We are not in control. I'm sorry to break it to you. If you think you are, you're not. You're not. And it's freeing. It's wonderful that we're not. I don't know if you've ever felt that incredible burden of trying to make things happen, a feeling that you had to fix things or make things work. You can't. You can't. But he can. You see, Jesus shows us that that he, that God of the impossible can partner with us and take us by the hand and guide us into an incredible place of freedom, knowing that he is everything. You see, as we abide in God and we move with God, we see the spirit 
walking with us. A few weeks ago, we saw Steve talk about the parakletos, that Holy Spirit that takes us by the hand and guides us along his way. And that gives us rest. See, as we follow the Holy Spirit, it's actually an incredibly restful thing. We don't have to gin anything up or, or, or say the right words, as, as, as Matt said in his testimony. We don't have to get it all right, but as we just follow the presence of God, it's true what, what God says in Exodus thirty-three fourteen that my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. You see, as a church, we are with and we are for one another. We really are better together. We don't have to do this alone. There's a safety in community. There's a safety in being together as a household. Do you know that in the Bible, God never once says that the church is a business? Not once does he call it an institution, which is what the world would call it. But time and time again, he says, you're a family, you're a household. In Ephesians 2, 19, he says, you were, you were once strangers and foreigners, but now you are citizens in God's kingdom. You are now members of that household of God. You see, we are brothers, we are sisters, and we are called to be brother, our brother's keepers and our sister's keepers. We're seeing this, this team of people come from California, from all over the world, from Australia and Cameroon and, and Germany and South Africa and, and, and Switzerland, all over the world. But they are our brothers, they are sisters. There's no difference as, as we come together and worship Jesus because we say have the same Heavenly Father. We together are the bride of Christ. See, the Bible always talks about us as a family and once we have that revelation that we are better together, we can mature in that. We can hold each other to account, we can speak into each other's lives We can encourage and exhort one another, and we can see God bless that unity, that incredible unity that comes only in family. You see, we are called on mission. We invite others to know us in in knowing Jesus. We freely go. See, as Peter went and he followed Jesus, Jesus said, I will make you a fisher of people. See, our calling is so much higher than we think. How many times have you been content just going through your day? Maybe God is calling us to to be that light as we partner with him to a world that is desperate for him, that is desperate for his love. You see, as we see these things, as we see all of these things that reveal something about us, we can't get away from it. It's like a mirror that shines the light to us. And if you didn't believe me, there are countless examples from the Bible. But I didn't want to go through those countless examples. So I'm just going to use examples of just the disciples, okay? Because we, we I don't know if you're anything like me, I put the disciples on a pedestal. I'm like, surely not the disciples. Not the disciples. <laughs> that, 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 that guy over there that you healed, sure, he can disobey you, he can doubt you, but not the disciples. The Pharisees, yes, they were hard of heart, but not, no, not the disciples. Don't talk about Peter that way. Not to me, not to anyone. But as we, look, as we look at the word, we realize that the disciples, they're only human, just like us. That they had the same doubts, the same fears, the same, the same anger and offense. In Mark 16, after, the disciple, after Jesus was resurrected, the disciples didn't believe that he was. When he appeared to Mary Magdalene, she went back to them and says, I've seen the Lord, he's, he's resurrected. And they didn't believe her. Then he showed himself to two of the disciples, and they came back and told the rest, and again, they didn't believe, believe them. In Luke 24, verse 37 to 39, the resurrected Jesus himself is standing before those same disciples that I put on a pedestal. 
and said, why are you frightened? Why do doubts rise up in your mind? They were literally looking at the resurrected Jesus and couldn't believe that he was there. We're no, we're no different. We're not. See, subtly, the world can change us. And we can struggle with doubts and skepticism, even if we don't realize that they're there. But let it come to the surface. Don't, don't force that down. Let it come, because that, that good father can deal with it and sort it all out. You see, anger and offense can come into our hearts, too. In John 6.61, Jesus says, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Have there been times that you've been offended? I have. There have been times where I've seen God work miraculous things, and I said, but Lord, why not me? Why not here? Do you think John the Baptist was offended that he was sitting in prison, growing up with Jesus? You see, offense leads to anger, leads to hardness of heart. We saw this with the Pharisees. That when they saw miracles, they wanted to kill Jesus. We need to let it rise up in us. We need to realize it's there and let God sort it out. Let God heal us of those things and let go. We can respond with fear and we can run away from the call of God. In Matthew 14, 25 and 30, the disciples were terrified when Jesus was walking on water. See, the, the children and groundbreakers today are learning about Jesus multiplying the bread and the fish. And right after that, right after it, Jesus walked on water, and they were terrified seeing him. Peter walked on water with Jesus, and then was terrified after he walked on water <laughs> and jumped back into the boat. We're not, we're not above this. I know I felt this way. I've been afraid of what, what following God could mean. I've sometimes been afraid of praying for people, because what if they weren't healed? You see, we can also disobey God. As we heard in the testimonies, maybe God has highlighted people to you before and you just walked the other way. I know I've done that. And it's filled me with guilt, you know. And that guilt was not from God. It was just this weight that weighed me down. You see, Peter disobeyed God too. He denied Jesus three times. All of the disciples, in fact, were scattered at the time of the crucifixion. And, and Peter, racked with guilt for his disobedience, just wept, wept bitterly. But then Jesus called him back. And in John 18, Jesus recommissioned Peter. In the same way that he commissioned him the first time, he put net over the side, a man called from the shore, and he said, put out your nets on this side. And he couldn't hold in the fish. And he realized it was him, and he couldn't wait to get to the shore, so he jumped out and just swam in the freezing water and then went by the fire with Jesus. You see, Peter, just earlier when he was denying Jesus, was warming himself by the fire of the Pharisees. And now he was warming himself by the fire of Jesus. See, the remedy for disobedience is not guilt. It's being near the presence and the warmth of God. We can be amazed. Just two more, guys, just two more. Bear with me here. We can, we can be amazed, okay? In Luke 5, 5, 9, Peter and all his companions were astonished, but later they denied him. They doubted. They were afraid. See, I don't want us to think that, that these are some stages that we can just, if we keep maturing and we go to these higher and higher stages, that we can't go back. It's a, it's a fluid system. That we, 
The same people who were amazed were disobeying and then angry and then afraid. And you can go back and forth. And we need to constantly remember that the God of the miraculous is with us and for us. <coughs> and can bring us to the final stage of transformation in faith. Luke 5, 11, they left everything and followed him. John 21, 4 to 8, Peter reinstated. I think I said earlier it was John 18, it was John 21. You know, a couple, a couple, uh, <clears throat> a couple weeks ago, on on Good Friday, I was sitting at work, and I had this I had this thought that maybe you guys have had, that I need to change the filter on my furnace. <laughs> I just I had this overwhelming feeling like I need to change the filter on my furnace. I had never had that thought before. But judging by your reaction, maybe you've never had that thought either. <laughs> And so, but it was such a compelling thought. I said, you know what? I'm going to put this on my phone. It's going to alert me. So when I get home at 7 o'clock, I'm going to get this alert that I'm going to change the filter on my furnace. And I got home, and I said hello to my family. And one of the first things that my lovely wife, Sheetal, said was, I think we should change the filter on our furnace. And my response, of course, was, what a coincidence. Wow, that is an interesting happenstance. No, of course not. It was, wait a minute, something's happening here. Let me go right now. I'm not going to wait for my alarm at 7 o'clock. I'm going to go right now and change the filter on my furnace. And so I went down, and I went to my furnace room, and I opened the door. And as I stepped in, this smell of gas uh, came at me, this overwhelming smell of gas. And in the furnace, there's a flame with this overwhelming feeling of gas. And that's how fires happen, my firefighter friends tell me. (laughs) And so, no, I, I, I asked. I mean, it, maybe it sounds intuitive, but I, I had to double-check. And, and so I called people's guests, and they came down, and they assured me, yes, that could have caused a fire. And they said that one of the, one of the pipes was just shooting gas straight out, and that it was just gushing gas was just gushing. And it's also, gas is poisonous for, for my young family. And as they fixed it, I just got on my knees, and I said, thank you, God. You reveal your tenderheartedness for me. Everything, all of those things that you did from Moses to Jesus, you're doing now. I realize that I am a son of God and my family is part of his family too. That as a tender father or as a gentle mother, that he does not forget the child on his chest. That this God is the God of the impossible. He knows all things. And that the scripture is alive. It's real. It's true. You know, almost nine years to the day, I saw something incredible. Almost to the day, nine years ago, I was working in a veterans hospital. And a a woman brought in her husband, and he had passed out. And I asked her what happened. And she said that her husband was an alcoholic. And um, he he took his medicines, but he forgot he took them, so he took them again. And his wife tried to stop him, but he was belligerent. He was aggressive, and I'm... I could tell that there's probably some abuse that was happening at home. And so she said, I couldn't stop him. And so then he took his medicines, and then he forgot he took them. So he took more of them, and then he forgot he took them, and he took more of them until he passed out. And as he came in, each of his organ systems was failing. You see, that, that incredible creation that I talked about, where God is sustaining and, and delicately balancing everything, he had shifted it, and all of the enzymes were just falling apart. His heart was failing. 
I had to, we had to put him on three different medicines continuously going into his body just to keep his heart trying to go. His kidneys were failing, and we had to put him on dialysis to filter his blood. His lungs then failed, and we had to put a breathing tube down to breathe for him. And we worked on him for 16 hours, and despite that, he was just slowly getting worse and worse and worse. We looked at all the research that we had. We said, what does modern medicine have to help him? And, <clears throat> and what modern medicine told us is he was a dead man, that there was nothing that we could do. We had to disconnect his, his breathing tube and pour out the water because literally he was flooding from the inside out. <clears throat> and the incredible thing was over those 16 hours, I didn't see his wife there, I didn't see his kids, I didn't see not one family member. See, there was so much brokenness in his life that maybe some people even wish, thought they would be better off without him. So I asked some people from church, I said, hey, can you come and can pray for him? And one by one, they, they, other things came up and no one could come and pray. And as my shift was ending, or as the day shift was ending, one by one, all the doctors came to me and they said, Matt, good luck, but he's going to die on your watch. I said, thank you. <laughs> thank, thank you for that vote of confidence world, you know. And they just tried to rob me of my faith. And to be honest, I didn't have much faith either. And I, was, I kept working, I just did whatever I could, and we, had, we were doing the maximum of everything possible. And that wasn't enough. And I was standing outside his room at 2, a, 2 o'clock in the morning. And I was looking at his monitors, and his heart rate went from 60 to 55 to 50. His oxygen level was going from 90, 85, 80. His blood pressure was literally dropping in front of my eyes. And I had nothing else to offer him. And I knew that at any second he was going to die and there was nothing I could do. And in that moment, this feeling of compassion flooded over me like, like a warm rain. just flooded over me. And I felt like crying. I, I looked at this guy that, that was going to die alone in his bed and no one was there. And I remember thinking, he's going to die and no one could even pray for him. And right at that moment, I heard this voice say, why don't you pray for him? And it was such a gentle voice that I didn't think what you're probably thinking of, why is there a voice in your head, Matt? (laughs) Why are you hearing voices? I didn't think that until later. Only later did I think that. But but at that moment, it just seemed so natural that I said, yes, why don't I pray for him? And so I walked into his room, and as I took a step into his room, I felt this heaviness in the air. Like there was this thick fog or something was in the air. It was like this electricity. It was something I had never felt before. And as I stepped in, I felt like there was something on my hands, like a glove or something. And I was looking at my hands, and I was like, what is, what is going on? What is this? And I stepped up to his, his bed, and I was looking at the monitors, and they all were just continuing to drop, and at any point, his heart was going to stop. And I just, these words just came to my mouth, and I just put my hand on his shoulder, and I said, freely I've been given, and freely I give. In the name of Jesus, be healed. And I felt something happen and go into him. And in that moment, I looked at his monitors, and his heart rate went from 40, 45, 50. His oxygen went 70, 75, 80. And it just kept going, and his blood pressure was rising. And all of those things that I had put on him through those 16 hours, all of that hard work, I just started ripping off those things. 
And by the morning, he was off all the drips. His kidneys were working. His oxygen levels were back to nearly morning. And I went home, and I came back the next morning after my shift, and I went straight to his room, beeline to his room. And he was sitting there, just like you're sitting there right there, just blinking at me, looking at me. And his first words to me were, hey, doc, how are you doing? I was like, hey, doc? Hey, doc? Do you even know what just happened? He was like, no, what happened? What, what do you mean? <laughs> Obviously, his, he was passed out through the whole thing, so he had no idea what was happening. And at this point, his wife was sitting next to his side. And so I go and I tell them everything that happened. And he was amazed. He was like, wow, that's incredible. And I looked over at his wife, and she had this look of, like, why would God heal this guy? Why would he heal them? Doesn't he know what he's done? Doesn't he know that this is not a good guy? You could see this just offense building up in our hearts. And then I looked at this guy and I said, that's great that your body is healed, but, but what about your mind? What about your soul? What about your spirit? And I said, you know, this is the God who healed you. And he, he said, oh yeah, okay, that's great. Um, you know, I'm going to start going to church. And, and he said it in such a flippant way that I was like, I don't think he's going to really do this. I, I think he's going to disobey and he was like, maybe I'll cut down on my drinking. I was like, maybe you'll cut down on your drinking? But I was so amazed at what just happened that I didn't stay there in that place. I, I kind of glossed over what was, was happening for his eternal soul. I left the room and I started telling everybody about this incredible thing that happened. And most of the people I told were filled with doubt and skepticism. It's like, no, we don't think that happened. We just think you're a really good doctor. I was like, clearly I'm not a very good doctor. <laughs> I was I was working on this guy for 16 hours, and he, you, you were the same people who said he was a dead man, and now you're trying to give me the credit for him being okay? I'm telling you, I was there. This is what happened. They're like, no, we, don't, we just don't believe that happened. You know, after that, every, every sick person I saw, I was praying for them. And you know what happened? Almost nobody was healed. No, almost nobody, actually. And I'm saying almost because I'm hoping that maybe somebody was healed, that I just didn't know about it. But nobody that I saw was healed. And so this, this funny thing happened where I started trying to say those same words that I did when I was in the room. Like I was like, freely I've been given. Freely I, I give. As if it was like a magic spell or abracadabra or I could like razzle-dazzle the situation. And, and it doesn't work that way. And you know, I felt so guilty after that. I said, you know, am I like disobeying God in some way? Am I... Am I not having enough faith, or did I do something? And, and I just felt like it, it actually made me afraid to pray for people. I'm just being honest. Then when I saw someone, I, I would go in, I'll be like, yeah, yeah, I'll pray for you. But I was like, God, if, if this doesn't happen, then did I, did I screw this up? I was afraid of failing. See, all of those same things the disciples went through, I struggled with. See, a few weeks ago, I went to Mexico, and as we went to Mexico, it was this incredible sign of unity from churches all over from California and Canada, America, and Mexico came together, and we did these medical relief clinics. We did these mobile clinics where we would treat people but also pray for people. Everyone who came in was treated and then prayed for. And I would be treating people, and I felt like I was helping people here and there. And then afterwards, at the end of the day, the prayer team would say, Matt, remember that guy with that swollen knee? Like, we prayed for them, and it was totally healed. And you'd think I'd be happy, but the first thing I said is like, I don't know if that could happen. I don't know if I believe that. 
because I saw his knee was swollen. He, couldn't, he could barely walk on it. And they're like, yeah, I know, but, but it was great. Like, the swelling went down. He started jumping up and down. And he was, like, dancing. And he was so happy. And I was like, really? Like, that guy? Are we talking about the same guy? I saw someone, like, die and come back from, from death, right? I saw the God of the impossible do that. And I couldn't believe a knee was healed. I couldn't believe it. And when I brought that to God, and I was convicted of that, I realized that when you see miracles, that that response that you have, it tells you something, it reveals something of your heart. It revealed me something of my heart. But I didn't just ignore it. I didn't just try to stuff that down. I went to my father and I said, Lord, I don't believe. Help me in my unbelief. And God gave me faith to have trust for more. And my brothers and sisters who testified of God's goodness, they encouraged me that it was actually safe being in a family that I could grow in my maturity because we're better together. You see, when we respond to the God of wonders, it's not that we have to do all these things. Sometimes, and oftentimes, it's about not doing. It's about letting go of those things that hold us back. You see, God wants us to be free. All of us for Jesus just means be free. Be free of those things, those burdens that you carry. We're not called to carry the burdens of this world. It weighs us down and it, it immobilizes us. But Jesus says in Matthew eleven thirty, my yoke is easy to carry and my burden is light. Right now, if you feel like you're so heavy burdened, can I, can I suggest that it's not from Jesus? That, that's a classic world burden right there. That's Because I, I felt it, I've been there. And whenever I've come to Jesus, he's given me his yoke, which is light and easy to carry. Maybe we just need some rest. You see, when we abide in God and we move with God, we find rest for our souls, as it says in Matthew eleven twenty nine. Exodus 33, 14 again says, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. What was exhausting was those 16 hours I was working for the, that veteran. But that two minutes of seeing God radically heal the guy, that wasn't exhausting at all. In fact, it was incredibly energizing. I was amped up. I was so amazed. I was excited because God did everything. It's a restful place, being with God. Allowing him to take you by the hand is one of rest. See, there's safety of church family. See, if we are a household of faith, if we are brothers and sisters, if we have the same Heavenly Father, if we are the bride of Christ, there's safety in there. See, the devil may be a prowling lion, but he can't come in this house. You see, Jesus says, yes, there is trouble in the world, but I have overcome the world. The closer we are together, the more unified we are, when we're in the presence of our Heavenly Father, there's safety and security there. And then we can go freely. We can invite others to join us in in knowing Jesus. You know, if your faith is not a burden then it's not a burden to share your faith. You know, there are times when I felt so heavily burdened by my faith that I felt like I had to do all of these things that I would share faith and when they would say, no, that's, that's okay, I'm like, yeah, I know. Yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> that, was, that was how I felt. I was like, man, this is an incredible burden. But you know, as I felt free and I felt all my burdens taken away by that God, when I look at a burdened world, a world that is desperate for him, like, why wouldn't you want this? Why do you want to live a life so burdened and crushed? Why do you want to be afraid? Why do you want to live your life racked with guilt and held down by all these things? 
Why? Why do you want to be crushed? Don't you want to be free? Don't you want to find rest? Don't you want to find the safety of community and family? And people are like, yeah, that actually does sound pretty good. Because that's the true gospel. You see, the true gospel is freeing, and it's incredible. We've seen that great light, and that light is the light of men, and darkness has not overcome it. I just feel like today, as, as we're just summarizing these, this idea of God raiding this earth and revealing our hearts and recognizing things and responding, I just feel like today is a day that we can respond together. If it's okay, Steve, that, that maybe as I was sharing this preach, that maybe there are things that were rising up in you where you were like, yeah, but God hasn't done this for me. Or I'm trusting for this, and that didn't happen. Or maybe you're feeling afraid, like, what, what could this mean if I follow God? Am I going to fail? Am I going to be disappointed? Am I going to be left alone and afraid? Maybe you were just racked with doubt and, and grief over the things that have happened before. I would say today is the day for freedom. And I think it can start with just taking a step of faith. And I just feel like today that that whatever it is that's holding you down, that today is the day to let it all go. Fear, doubt, guilt, offense, just to let it go. And I feel like the way to do that right now is just to stand. If you feel like you've struggled, as I've struggled, with being afraid of what this could mean, I just ask that you'd stand right now to be free of those things. If you've struggled with worries and fears about how all of these is going to work out, Let this be a time you can let it go. If you struggle with guilt for things that have happened in the past, maybe things that you haven't even done but were done to you, let this be the time that that guilt falls away from you. Those chains that we we sang about, let those be broken and fall away. If today is a day to doubts, real doubts that you wrestle with, have racked your brain of, does God still move in the miraculous now? Does this really happen because I don't see it? Then let this be the day that you see that God would give you eyes to see and ears to hear. You see, this revelation doesn't come by thinking it or wanting it. It comes by a gift of the Holy Spirit. And if you want that gift, I would say stand now for receiving of that Holy Spirit in a greater measure. If there's been offense holding you back or anger that you've struggled with, I say just stand and let God wash over you with that heart of compassion. That heart that says, come here, my boy. Come here, my girl. It's okay. Whatever you've done, wherever you've been, it's okay. Let his Holy Spirit wash over you like that warm rain, giving you his heart, as we sang earlier that we want to know your heart. Let the Lion of Judah come and give you a safe place. Let the Lamb of God minister to your hearts right now. Let the cornerstone be the rock by which our faith is rooted and established. That's unshakable. Dear Lord, I ask that by the incredible gift of your Son, Jesus, that we would be free, that we would feel your rest that we long for, 
that incredible rest in your presence. Where people have felt that they've had to do all of these things like Martha, and they've had to run and try to do all of these things. Let us choose the better way and be at your feet and just rest in your presence. Lord, I pray for the safety of this unity, this family. I pray for faith to arise, for illnesses that we've long since lost faith to see healed. I pray for the gift of faith to come now. I pray that right now that you would freely give and we would freely receive your gift of healing, that the miraculous would come down. I pray for a double portion of your anointing, Lord, upon the people here today that those who want to freely receive from you would receive more. That they would see the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dead rise. And they would testify of the God who does the impossible. Thanks again for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and visit us at churchinthecity.us.